everyone, I'm Graham Mann, and welcome to the Starting Stories podcast. On this podcast, we interview entrepreneurs, creatives, investors, and more to find out how they got started and the habits and learnings that made them successful, so you can apply it to your own life. This episode's guest is Jeff Lonis, a native of Rose Bay, Nova Scotia, which is about 10 minutes from where I grew up, who is the co-founder of Talent Bureau, a speakers bureau and creative talent management firm. He's been booking, managing, and coaching speakers for over 12 years. He's also the curator of TEDx Toronto, a volunteer role leading the selection and coaching of all speakers. Outside the office, Jeff is a proud East Coast transplant to Toronto, an athletic enthusiast, which he says means, quote, he's mediocre at most, but passionate about all. And he started an online donair spice company called Drunken Sailor to make the staple East Coast product more readily available. And it's now carried in 85 Sobeys stores across Atlantic Canada. In this episode, we cover his early interest in business, why he chose to move to Toronto, how he deals with so many different types of people on a daily basis, what makes a great speaker, and more. Don't forget to check out the show notes with links to things we talk about, Jeff's work, and more at grandman.net slash podcast. Without further ado, please enjoy this episode with Jeff Lonas. Thanks for being here today, Jeff. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. So we we briefly just talked about it, but it's, uh, it's funny where we grew up probably 10 minutes away from each other on the South Shore of Nova Scotia and yeah. went to Parkview for high school, um, which is where kind of I'd like to start. Um, what were you like as a kid and what activities were you involved in? What were you interested in here on the South Shore? Good, good question. Um, I would say as a kid, I was... Uh, I was interested and kind of ended up doing everything. Um, that was kind of a, a default where I didn't, I didn't deep dive too much into anything. I was in musical theater. I was in every sport uh, except hockey. Um, I was, you know, in, in, on any kind of committee I could be on, I was in choir and I think just kind of doing anything. And as I look back at it and I started looking back over the past couple of years, I think I think I was in everything that was free, mostly for registration, as I learned uh, uh, okay. after the fact. So I think there was a theme there with my parents. Yeah. Um, so it just ended up being in, in so many different, uh, so many different things. But that, and then that kind of like kept going into, even in high school, I was pretty uh, broadly interested in a lot of things and got involved in running events. Um, and then even while still in high school, became the assistant coordinator of a, a music festival, Lunenburg Folk Harbor Festival, yep. which uh, uh, which then kind of set me on the path towards events, which kind of connects very connects very specifically towards probably where I am uh, today. Right. And that's probably a good segue. So you went from Parkview to studying marketing at St. Yep. Mary's. Was it that that's it. interest in events that put you in toward, towards marketing? What were you, What was the thinking behind going into marketing and going to St. Mary's? Yeah, good question. Um, I think with marketing was was simply I knew I wanted a business degree, and actually, although although I had such broad interests, I was so crystal clear on wanting a business degree, probably from even like grade ten onwards. Yeah, so I yeah chose marketing just based on it was it was a bit of a war of attrition in terms of um, knew I wanted to do a business degree in a big way. Um, and I knew that really early on for some reason, like probably even just entering grade ten, I just felt that connection to business. Um, and, uh, Mark, you know, finance and accounting were, uh, were not in my realm of interest, uh, for the most part. Um, so I, uh, so marketing just felt really natural. I took a lot of, took a lot of management courses as well. So, I mean, it was almost like a dual degree, but, you know, for as much as you can learn about management in a classroom and, 
then here we are. So that's what right. that's kind of where the general interest came from. It was always there. I love brands. I've always been fascinated by building brands and building communities. Um, and so that's where it, uh, that's where that interest came from. Do you know why you were so set on doing a business degree? Did you have exposure through someone or? Not really. Um, yeah. And, and it certainly, it didn't necessarily come from my, my family in any way. I just thought, I remember, I remember as a little kid, I was very fascinated by business cards. Right. Um, that's maybe, that, <laughs> maybe there's some insight there. I'm not sure. Um, but I, yeah, I just, I just like the thought of growing businesses. I always thought it was really neat watch watching people who have them. And I think there was a bit of a, a mystery and you may have experienced this too, being from such a small place and, um, and there's, and there's a fairly narrow focus there, depending on, you know, which community and or who you spend your time around. Um, you know, my, on a, on a daily basis, my eyes weren't necessarily open up to a ton of things, but business was just one thing that yeah, just really interested me in how you could grow these companies. And I remember meeting someone who owned a Tim Hortons and that was so fascinating to me. That was so much more fascinating than, than, than anyone else I might meet. Um, just the fact that they owned this business and this company was really interesting to me. And then I remember, you know, then, then you spend more time in, in the bigger city in Halifax and I meet some more individuals and they're, um, you know, they own these bigger businesses or they might own a whole chain. And this just fascinated me. I don't, mm-hmm. I, I don't even know the root of it. I just remember being so naturally interested in it. Right. Um, it was great. And then the choice for St. Mary's, which uh, is in Halifax, was, was there a particular yes. thinking or process behind that or? Uh, you know, just one of the greatest academic institutions in Canada. That's, that's all. Um, no, that's, uh, no, it, it's funny when you look back at decisions. I honestly, for me, I think I had a few friends cause I, when I was in grade 10, I had a lot of grade 12 friends. A few of them went there. I, I went and visited a couple of times and just felt a connection to it. It at the time did have the, uh, and, and, and hopefully still to this day had what was considered the strongest business program. Um, outside of, uh, you know, kind of east of Ontario. Mm-hmm. And so that was, that was really compelling for me. Just said the Sobe School business had a really strong kind of name, brand and pull. And so I was pretty set on it. Uh, I did check out a few other schools and had some opportunities at a couple of other schools, but uh, was, yeah, felt, felt pretty drawn to the same race program. In fact, I had co-op there too. So, right. which I didn't end up doing in the end. I never took part in co-op, but it was actually a big selling feature for me because I wanted that, that experience to, to get exposed to companies and to real work. Sure. And I mean, it sounds like you were actually remarkably focused in terms of what you thought you wanted to do and where you ended up. But did your focus change or did your interest change while you were at SMU? Yeah, good. I mean, I was focused in knowing that business was was the interest and the intent. And I was focused on, I'd say what, what did what did manifest like continuously through my life was was this want to build businesses, not just, uh, you know, and, and that element of interest that I had in kind of building companies and building communities versus simply, um, you know, working in a finance department somewhere or, or doing accounting. So I'd say that that remained very consistent. And I think that I could argue was a consistent focus. Um, what changed while going through school? Um, I mean, I think you, you, the, the barriers kind of get taken down in terms of your limited knowledge and you start to realize um, what it takes to build companies and you just start realizing it's just a lot of work. It's a lot of finance and accounting. It's a lot of marketing tactics, um, especially a lot of companies that are growing and blowing up in these days. You know, it's just like you know, the, the kind of hacker mentality 
Um, you know, they're put together and pieced together and sometimes built on a house of cards in ways you just not, didn't expect. Um, (laughs) so you kind of, you kind of learn, you learn things like that. Um, so I think that just kind of being, you know, demystifying, uh, businesses and and business in general happened for me during that time, but I wouldn't say it shifted too much of my focus. Fell, fell more in love with marketing, fell more in love with brands and building brands. Um, and yeah. And you were involved in more event planning and some of the similar stuff through university that, that probably helped cement that. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think it was my, this is probably consistent for a lot of people. Most of where I am today was shaped by the things I did alongside of school uh, from, you know, which, which pretty immediately when I was when my second month at St. Mary's, I got hired as the events coordinator for the student union. So I was running events on campus, everything from, uh, you know, a band in the, in the campus bar, which I wasn't even of age at the time when I was booking bands for the campus <laughs> bar. Um, so I wasn't able to go to the shows, but I was booking them and setting up the sound equipment in the daytime uh, to booking speakers and comedians. Um, and then that kind of just kind of continued. And um, I, I then was a VP of the student union for two years as well, looking after the entertainment and everything else. And so those things shaped my, uh, yeah, shaped more of uh, my, my general interests going forward and the experience that led to the work I've done to date more than I would say, um, you, you know, my degree certainly, but I think that's consistent for a lot of people as well. Right. And if I'm correct, you started working for the National Speakers Bureau and Global Speakers Agency directly out of SMU. Yeah, yeah. I started uh, started a week a week before graduation. I ended up uh, going and working there. Okay, wow. So, uh, what, what was that job search process like? And did you look at other things? How did you settle on that particular job? Yeah, I I didn't. So, as much as I'm claiming a little bit of focus and and so on, um, I really didn't. I had only applied. I was fascinated. Again, this was from this is. I was a bit of an economics nerd too. Um, okay. Though I, though they're not in a huge way, I just again was fascinated by like global economies and how these things are built. And and honestly, quite honestly, I think it's coming from a place that has such a slow economy, if you will, um, to just see things move at a faster pace really blew my mind. So I only applied for jobs in uh, Doha and Dubai, uh, which at the time, and then and again today, which at the time were were uh, you know just had an economy growing you know at a hundred times the pace probably of of Lunenburg County where we grew up, and that. Or, or way more than that even. And so that really blew my mind. And I was kind of set on that. And I actually made a very specific choice not to come to Toronto. I thought it was, I kind of wanted to either go big or stay home in a way. I was like, I may as well stay in Halifax, leverage the connections I have, leverage the the people I know, um, and maybe start something. It's a very entrepreneurial place. I was with lots of you know student friends and so on. Um, but then literally just got the, um, got offered an interview and, and the opportunity. And so just jumped on it. So without much thought, like it's one of those things where you look back on it, you were just kind of um, like, yeah, was not going this direction at all, then totally 180 and then shaped my life. So right. um, that, that happens pretty regularly. So otherwise, no, if, if that didn't happen, I was just going to stay in Halifax and try and start some things, uh, get involved in getting, you know, involved in, in life in the region outside of the university and see what I could put together. Okay. But so- a couple of things there. I mean, aside from the economic difference, why Doha and Dubai? I mean, those are yeah. seemingly random for someone from Nova Scotia, but. Yeah, it, it was, I actually think it was exclusively and, and yeah, and specifically the, the kind of experience I thought I could get there with it, with it being such a, such a, an exploding place at the time. Right. Um, I was, I was 
just totally interested in that. And it felt, felt big. It felt different. Um, and so, yeah, I looked for a few jobs and not, and again, I wasn't really focused on what I was looking for. I really was just looking to get an opportunity to get my feet on the ground there. I didn't go to like, I didn't go to like teaching English or something like that. I was applied for a few marketing jobs. Um, and I also think the influence at St. Mary's, there's a, um, there's a huge population there from, uh, from the Middle East. And so I think that's where I got the great exposure to the region. Okay. Um, and not that Dubai is, uh, the highest place on my list to, you know, uh, to, to spend time, certainly now and now that I've learned more and more about it too. But at the same time, um, just, yeah, I mean, so many brilliant, wonderful people from that region um, that are, that are really, uh, you know, really shaped my kind of understanding of the world and made me just think, wow, that'd be an incredible place to go work for a couple of years, see a, see an economy on steroids, you know, see businesses start and stop, um, in a way that you just can't in a smaller city like Halifax. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, the, I exposure, cool. the exposure in school makes sense. Cause I mean, uh, it's kind of like, well, you know, why else, you know, why not New York or something yeah. else, but the exposure there makes sense. And then the other thing there, um, and maybe we want to save it for later when we talk about your, your more recent ventures, but you mentioned that Nova Scotia was a very entrepreneurial place. Um, mm. that's not usually the sentiment in general that I find from people. Yep. It's usually the opposite. In fact, and you know, the, the pace of our economy would suggest that that's true. <laughs> yes, but rarely yep. does that tell the full story. So, uh, and we can save it for later if you prefer, but why, why do you believe Nova Scotia is not like such an entrepreneurial place? And maybe, I don't know, what are some examples of what you were exposed to that gave you that impression? Um, I think, I think really a, I say Nova Scotia, but in a big way, I think that it was, I think a lot of that was, um, you know, being, being in St. Mary's. So in a, in a, in a good mm-hmm. business school on the East coast, just with, with students, I mean, every single night, just hanging out with students in business school, you're talking about, you know, starting this company, starting that company. Now I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue that though they're, though we haven't been uh, so successfully successful as entrepreneurs, that is not an entrepreneurial place. I think the entrepreneurial spirits there. Um, but I find that uh, I, yeah, maybe just not that good at it. Uh, could be, could be the, the case <laughs> and not to be, and yeah, and I, I actually don't want to mean that to be a joke that might actually be true. Yeah. And I'd highlight that point by like, be, before moving to Toronto, I had never met someone who's like, or not, I shouldn't say I've never met someone. I found, I found I wouldn't have many conversations. Every conversation I would have, like everyone at home I found wanted to work for themselves and, and whether or not they had the motivation or drive or insight or idea to have their own business. I felt like everyone wanted to have their own business. Those conversations were daily for me, whether that was a friend who was young or my dad, or, um, you know, even, even, you know, I found my parents' friends who might be nurses or something still had this like concept of working for themselves one day. That was the ultimate. And I, you almost never talk to someone who was like, yeah, I can't wait to spend the rest of my life working for a bank. But now, now in Toronto, many friends like that who are so settled. And as soon as I moved to Toronto, I found like there's all these people here who have their whole life plan to continue working at the, the bank they're at or continue working at the firm they're at. Um, and, I, and I feel like that was very different from, from the kind of vibes of so many people uh, back in Nova Scotia. Was gen- a lot of my conversations were, you know, about like, yeah, I work at this place or I work at that place, but one day I'll, I'll have my own thing. No, I find that um, extremely fascinating, uh, partially because 
it, it was really only when I started getting interested in business, but I realized that, you know, uh, a significant portion of the population in places like Mahone Bay or Lunenburg, which for the, the sake of those listening who don't know where those are, they're just small towns on the South Shore of Nova Scotia, but there's a huge proportion of freelancers and creatives and people that do work for themselves. Yeah. And yeah. you don't necessarily talk about it in, in day-to-day life. You just sort of see these people and know they live here and often they've moved from somewhere like Toronto, but, but you don't really know. Um, and the businesses, you know, and I'd add to like the businesses may be tiny, but they're still, this is, you know, it's like you, you right. can actually get by and live, you know, just fine and then cover your bills, you know, whether that's, whether, you know, that's, that's landscaping, that's, carpentry that's plumbing that's electric like those are those are good you know entrepreneurial ventures and so it's just like a really kind of like raw like small business economy in those places mm-hmm. um but they're you know and, and it's just a function of the fact that there are very few big companies now even those things have started to change where where now you know even when i was you know and you and i aren't that old but even when we were young still mostly a lot of the boats were independent uh even now, you know, there's there's like two scallop draggers, and there were probably 14 before. Um, so even changes like that mean now people are working for others and working for bigger businesses. But even when we were growing up, those were still all independent fishermen um, who were still entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Now, do you think the gap, I guess, between the desire to be independent or an entrepreneur, however you want to title it, and mm-hmm. the number of people that actually are, do you think that gap is just... Um, do you think it's education? Do you think it's opportunities? Yeah, I go, I think opportunities. I mean, uh, um, you know, there's, there simply aren't the larger companies, uh, in, in, in certain areas to be working for, um, in a way, I think that, I think that's a, yeah, I mean, that, that I'm kind of answering the question as, you know, why people are doing their, their own independent thing. Um, I may, have, I may have fudged that question though. How exactly, what exactly did you ask there? No, it's, uh, I mean, there, that's, there's two parts. I think, you know, why do you see that entrepreneurial so spirit so much, which I think partially you just answered, which is, mm-hmm. you know, somewhat it's by necessity, but yeah. I guess the other thing is why do we see so much of the entrepreneurial spirit, but still have a lack of success stories to tell about, the Nova Scotia economy or right, big companies right. that have developed here. Yeah. And I think, I think a big part of that is ecosystem and having, and having those success stories to share and sharing them and having a platform to share them on. I think that's really key. And I think that's, you know, in, in a way sort of fundamentally missing, not so much missing from Halifax or there are, you know, lots of organizations and groups in Halifax that are there to kind of, promote and help build businesses and network individuals, but certainly from very small regions. And that's not specific to Nova Scotia. I mean, that's, that's across the country um, and, and around the world where there's not, there's not the kind of like infrastructure ecosystem there to um, help build and grow businesses. And when, and when someone's growing a company, there's not really people to turn. There's not as many people to turn to, to, chat about the challenges that you have. Um, I've, I've sorted out pretty, you know, re- really big challenges and, and, you know, pivoted my business in different ways because of just conversations I've had, because any given day I'm hanging out with individuals who have started, you know, a, a couple million dollar company or whatever else. When you don't have that in your area, you won't necessarily get that. Um, and again, this isn't a bad thing at all, but it's just a fair comparison story. I mean, it's like, I will never fix my own car because I don't hang out with people who fix their own cars because I 
you know, they're, they're, they're not kind of around me right now. Whereas at home, my dad fixes whatever he can on our car, not because he's a mechanic or he has a natural skill set for it, but because he kind of spends time around a lot of people who can do that and do do that. And thus the skills transfer to him in a way. And he's talked about fixing this hose or that, you know, it just, it just transcends. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that that's, um, that's probably a big part of what's missing. I, I you know, and, and I do think education certainly plays a role. Um, passion, enthusiasm, um, hard work all play in. And I think they all get, there, there's no lack of people willing to work really hard um, and, and grind for their businesses, you know, but at some point, you know, the proper financial modeling, which you typically learn in a school or, you know, accounting principles or something else uh, really can stifle your growth. And, and that, and that kind of stops and stifles a lot of people. So um, yeah, they don't think it's about like a lack of hard work, you know, no one works harder than a lot of those we know who are, who are, you know, just running the landscaping business, working 18 hours a day, uh, you know, just not realizing that with shifting a couple things and, you know, that notion of working on the business, not, not in the business for a, a couple of days could help them probably drastically change what they do and, and grow a much bigger business. Sure. Okay. So we'll circle back here. You decided to move yes. to Toronto. Yes. Were there any other factors aside from the job that you'd, cause you, I think you explicitly said you were <laughs> avoiding Toronto. <laughs> yes. No other, uh, literally zero other factors. Okay. Um, I had, I had a lot of friends from St. Mary's who were, who were from Toronto. Although uh, as soon as I moved to Toronto and, you know, was like, cause I moved very quickly too. And I'm like, guys, I'm here. They're like, Oh, well, actually I'm from, you know, I've been in Halifax for five years telling you guys that I live in Toronto, but I'm actually in, you know, Burlington or, or Hamilton or, you know, even, <laughs> even way uptown. So, was, so I, you know, I, I did, I did, I did think and, and know that I had a lot of friends here as well, but uh, you know, a few of them were missing for, especially those first couple of years when they, when they came back and lived at home um, outside of, uh, outside of the city. So I saw them a bit less, but um, no, I, nothing, nothing else beyond just taking the job opportunity, but certainly I was excited um, to, you know, kind of come and see what I could do, see what I could do to, to kind of grow a, grow a life here and, right. and take advantage of the city and, and enjoy everything it had to offer. As a slight aside here, I have to ask because I'm, I'm curious. I have friends that live in Toronto now. I've never lived there for any extended period of time, but yeah. as an East coaster, do you like Toronto first off, I guess? And then what, what do you find are the, the best and worst parts about living there? Cool. Yeah. Good question. I mean, I'm, I am a couple months shy of 10 years here now. I still don't say I'm from here when I'm away and someone asks me, you know, I still will say like, Oh, I live in Toronto, but I'm from Nova Scotia. Right. And, and then they get confused. Cause as we talk more, they're like, you've been there for 10 years. Like, I think, I think when you're in Vancouver, you can just say you're from Toronto now. Like I, I don't care about the backstory, uh, yeah. but I still have a hard time saying it. That said, it's taken me a while. And actually a, the, one of the biggest mistakes I've made was, was, um, not, not leaning into Toronto a little more, not giving into Toronto a little more. I kind of kept a bit of a, you know, maybe, maybe an emotional distance with this city and not wanting to consider it home. But man, if, if I moved anywhere in the world tomorrow, I would just call it my home from day one. You know, no one's mm-hmm. going to gain anything from, you know, I, in, in my opinion, you're not going to gain anything. I didn't gain anything from not just, making this my home right away. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of kept this, like kept a bit of emotional distance there with Toronto, uh, which, which I still sort of do, but I recognize, I recognize that barrier and I, and I, um, 
you know, yeah, one, I want to grow this city. Now it's where I am. So I want to be a member of this community. I want to embrace it. I want to love it. Um, so yeah, it took, it took me a little while. There's, man, there's some fantastic thing. It makes you realize the fantastic things about Nova Scotia and about Halifax and about, um, various places. Uh, but I mean, I've, I've steeped myself in Toronto and come to think it's just one of the most incredible places in the world. So, but it did take me a little while. Right. Um, I don't, I mean, I don't want to get too, too, too into it, but what, what are a few of those like incredible things about Toronto and that you realized about Nova Scotia or Halifax or wherever once you moved away? Yeah, sure. Good question. I mean, about Toronto and I still, I also recognize that I still pronounce the T on the end of Toronto. I tend to say that not many people do, but no one does. I'm a loner in that. I don't know why. Um, so what's the correct, what's the correct pronunciation? So most people like here or, or most people, most people just say Toronto, like little, the, the second T doesn't exist. I, st- I tend to say it every time. And I really started picking up on it lately. Um, Interesting. So yeah. yeah it's um, so about Toronto, that's great. I mean, it's such a, it's such low hanging fruit in terms of pointing it out as a, as a, as a, uh, great thing but the diversity here truly is incredible and the way that manifests in the food and the food i eat every day whether i'm buying it out or whether i'm cooking um i um with all with all the love in the world for the food my my parents fed me growing up i probably haven't cooked a dish that they would have cooked in in three years you know i've i've i personally just just cook dishes from every part of the world any any given day and that's like i mean i just love i love it Sake of loving it, but I also love how I've learned to to like that food. I like that I, you know, cooked Syrian food with a Syrian friend that I have here, and Mexican food, Mexican friends, and I've, I've learned that way. Um, it's uh, it's just pretty cool when I reflect on that. It's like this is pretty awesome. So uh, that's sort of showing itself in food, but just yeah, the diversity in every way it hits the city, uh, from the entertainment to just the people to the ideas. Um, it's it's really incredible. Um, the op- the opportunities, I mean, as, as a young professional here, it's a great city because there are lots of others and, you know, and then you're in your, you know, many of you are in the same boat. I got to come here and become part of a, you know, a network and circles of friends that are just incredible, doing amazing things, building great businesses, working on really great passion projects um, and, and really driven individuals. You know, it's kind of this collection from admittedly a lot of rural areas, a lot of just different parts of the country and the world um, that are, that have come here for a reason to and and want to build something want to create a business want to make want to make an impact and so it's fun to spend a lot of time around those people right um in terms of what i what i missed probably most about halifax it uh, would have been would have been um you know the the people again talk about talk about low hanging for like easy thing to say but just the you know the, the ease of of the people there um I, I like the size of city that I like smaller cities in general. I find so many more things there are, are really manageable. So even from the entertainment scene, like I, I, I love music and I almost gave up going to concerts in the city because it's so hard to follow. Um, it's so hard. The, the music is so robust. It's hard to follow. Here. Uh, and if you're not deeply in it, you just kind of, you just glaze over when you look at it. Cause there's 400 shows tomorrow night. And I kind of like that in smaller cities, it's like, there's, 12 shows and you kind of know which ones you should go to. Um, I, so that's a, that's a very small thing. I like the supportiveness of Halifax. I think I missed that early on. I think I found it in Toronto. Not, I think I, I did find it in Toronto in a big and amazing way after a couple of years, but certainly the ease of finding mentorship 
um, and finding support and guidance in Halifax was was very simple. Um, I found and and really and I really valued that in a big way. And you know that took that took a while to build up in Toronto naturally. And then people, you know, a lot of people have a lot of things going on, so maybe not as quick to jump on. Uh, you know, just just you know whether it's mentorship or supporting you and your ideas. Sure. Okay. So you were working at National Speakers Bureau and Global Speakers Agency. What was your day-to-day job like there? What were you doing? Yeah, sure. So I was a, I was an agent, so a booking agent, booking speakers and media personalities. Um, day-to-day, it was very much go in, uh, you know, and, and, and effectively when, when you're in that role, you're, you're in sales, like, like, like most jobs out there really at the end of the day. But yeah. I was... I was there to go in and to, uh, you know, kind of book speakers. I managed the, the kind of campus um, uh, bookings for them across the country and, and a good bit in the U.S. And then other, you know, had other corporate clients as well. And it was a really amazing job. I mean, first year, you know, within two months, I was, you know, spending time with and, and chatting with on the phone in these relationships with, you know, folks like the former Prime Minister Kim Campbell um, and just, you know, business leaders and, you know, and, just incredible individuals. So it was a pretty neat job just to get launched into that world of, of these remarkable people. Um, while, you know, had I not taken that interview and not taken that job, I still would have probably just been serving uh, food for another month or two. And yet instead I'm, I'm, I'm you know, in, in these incredible conversations with, uh, with the most remarkable people, it was, right. it was pretty cool. And this is inbound requests coming in for speakers or you're going out and finding opportunities for speakers that, uh, you're, you were representing or both. Yeah, to- totally, totally two way. Um, it's, you know, again, a kind of part of, you know, part of that business was, was certainly that there's lots of inbound, uh, requests coming in, um, and you manage those, but then also trying to, you know, trying to rustle up events and, and keep in good touch with your clients to, to generate opportunities as well. Um, but it was, it was kind of more inbound, whereas today, um, you know, although our, business does a good bit of inbound. It's like we're, you know, we're, we're in the heavy, you know, heavy outbound sales you know, time in the business. And that's really fun to be back to. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, I know during your time there, you also became involved with TEDx, but maybe we'll revisit that later. Sure. So yeah. after National Speakers Bureau, you did some work from November? Yeah, I did. So I left, I left uh, National Speakers Bureau um, after just over four years and went to Movember. So I went there as a head of business engagement and got to work on the campaign as it grew, um, working with working with companies and corporate um, participants to help, you know, kind of grow the campaign and grow their impact on the on movement. It was a pretty, really cool experience and a really, really back, back to that, back to that love of branding that I kind of knew I had when I was, in grade 10 to get to work on a truly global brand like that yeah. was an incredible experience. And were you recruited for that job? Yeah. Well, um, not, not by, not by traditional recruiter. I knew that I knew the team at November. Okay. Um, and so had a, you know, knew when, knew when the job became available, uh, through them. And, uh, yeah, we had, you know, we still went through a series of interviews and everything else and, uh, ended up with the, with the job. Was that an easy decision for you or you were ready for something new? I, w- I was very ready for something new. I, you know, I kind of made the decision that I wasn't going to stay at the Speakers Bureau for a long time. I kind of thought I wouldn't jump back into the industry. It's funny how now I'm back in the industry with, with my own business. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but 
I think that, um, yeah, leaving and a, just going into a charity, I, I am a, I'm like a, a bleeding heart kind of guy, but I, but I have such a love for business. I was a bit nervous about making that choice to go to a charity, um, because I didn't, um, I didn't want, I, I didn't and don't want to work for, you know, in the nonprofit side for the duration of my career. I, I just have, I have feelings that I didn't want to do that. And so I was weary about making that choice. Um, not, you know, it was an incredible opportunity to, to serve a, a greater cause and to do that for a while. But for some reason, um, I just wanted to make sure that I didn't get, I didn't get caught in like continuing to work at, at, at charitable organizations. Um, just, and I say that only because I feel like I'll be able to make a greater impact by, you know, building other businesses and being able to give back more. Um, and so that's where, that's where those feelings come from. Um, uh, but that's, yeah. So, so, but def- definitely a tough decision because of that, because of, you know, just thinking through that factor, like I'm going to work at this charitable organization. It was also something that was very um, like trendy and we were just building it. I was the sixth employee, I think. Um, and so you're just trying to, you're, you're, you're piecing something together. It was very much in a startup mode. I mean, it was, it was a, it was a solid organization, but still there was lots of unknowns that hadn't been around for 30 years. All those things that just like that lack of security that uh, for someone who grew up with, fairly little in a way uh, to be in a city to have the insane rent price that you pay here and to go somewhere that's not as secure as where you are now. It was definitely a daunting decision, um, but also an incredibly easy decision because it was such an exciting place to go work and such an incredible place to go learn too. So I, I was also very confident in it. I just, I just thought it through a million times and drove home after the day I, I let my boss know that I'd be leaving and, could not believe that was actually happening. So just some of the, some of those normal feelings I think a lot of people have. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then following Movember, you, you went to Shopify, right? I did. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, again, what was that sort of process like? Why did you decide to, to make the change? Yeah. The, so that was, um, I, I knew that, uh, I knew that I probably would, would only have a couple more years at Movember. I, you know, all along it was like something I thought, would probably do for five years or less, which is, which is just what I think is smart. This is the thing about charitable work, though. It's a place. A lot of people stay a long time. I believe that turnover can be very extremely valuable to, to a lot of nonprofits. Um, and too many don't have that much turnover. So I kind of knew this would be like a, you know, max five year thing because I'm just, I gave it absolutely everything I could for the three years I was there, um, and enjoyed it a ton. I took a lot out of it, but I, also literally gave everything. Uh, and I knew I didn't want to be like a, a tired nonprofit worker, um, you know, f- 15 years down the line. Uh, it's important for me just to remain invigorated in anything I do, but certainly, certainly when it's a cause and you can be, and your energy directly translates to the impact the organization can have. Um, I wanted to make sure I was only working there while, while making the max impact I could. So um, so yeah, uh, thought I thought I'd have a good bit longer there, but I got, um, I did start kind of making the plans with Jeff, my current partner to, to join him on the business. Um, and we're doing that when Shopify kind of came knocking and, uh, although they were at that time, not what they are today. Um, but you can make that statement pretty much every they're growing at such a speed that you can make that statement every day, probably <laughs> every six um, months at least for sure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, you know, it was just a really cool opportunity uh, 
just such a neat opportunity to learn um, and to and to just experience that. Uh, I mean, again, so, you know, if I was fascinated by the growth of Dubai uh, and so on, just the the growth of a company like that to watch it happen was just absolutely incredible. So, right. and what were you uh, doing at yeah. Shopify? So I, I went there to help build out their um, their initial partner and developer conference. So we, I, mm-hmm. I, I think I was a uh, a strategic hire by them. They they liked some some of the experience and what I brought to to Movember, um, and they liked different things about how I've worked with media personalities in the past and so on. Um, and and I think they were at a point in really smartly where they can kind of hire people they believe in um, and and see what comes of it. And so I think that that in a way, would, although although it was more defined and a bit more strategic than that, that was kind of the type of hire. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we we kind of set out myself and one other guy within the company to build uh, to build an event for Shopify. And so that wasn't totally defined what that would be. Uh, over a couple of months, that came to be uh, what what has now become Unite, which is their major partner and developer conference. Right. Okay. So, and yeah. while, while you're at Shopify, you started a project that has now turned into a side business for you. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> yeah, just talk totally. a little bit about that. Yeah. So one, one of the cool things Shopify does do is, uh, um, among many others, is encourage employees to start their own stores. And it's really amazing. Like, if you could just look at, talk talk about entrepreneurs. I mean, everyone in that company is is an entrepreneur in a way. And, and some people are running some incredible side businesses, you know, on Shopify and off, but still, um, you know, selling, selling incredible things. And so I was, uh, as, as the proud East coast Ram, I was really struggling with what I would sell, um, on, on, on Shopify, but I knew I wanted to start a store and get it going and kind of learn, you know, you learn so much more about the merchant experience through doing that. Right. And I was at a dinner party and a friend gave me some donair spice and I just literally was like, this is it. This is what I'll sell. Cause my family has their own donair spice recipe. Um, and so, yeah, literally like the next day, I put wheels in motion. We built a brand. Uh, Joe, my wife, is a really incredible designer. So we built a brand, Trunk and Sailor Donair Spice. And uh, I wouldn't say like, and the next week we were selling it, but because uh, the, the the tires spun for a little while. But within a couple months, we were selling Donair Spice. And that was pretty cool and just a fun experience. And again, it was just an ode to, to home and to a food that I love, but also just a nice connection to to home in Nova Scotia. Um and yeah, we, we sold it online. We sell lots to Alberta, um, to, you know, um, you know, different parts, certainly a lot in the East coast and it's pretty much exclusively East coasters who buy it. A lot of displaced East coasters around the, um, around the world too. Yeah. Um, and then we got picked up by, uh, we got picked up by Sobeys, uh, just over a year ago. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we're in 85 Sobeys stores now as well. So, I mean, it must be a fairly significant side business for you right now. And maybe for those who aren't from the East Coast, just describe what a doner is. <laughs> so a doner is, uh, is is this magical this magical food. No, so it's a it's it's <laughs> like a like a you know people compare it to a euro. It's very different, but it is it's a pita. It's it's shaved meat in a pita with then. But the very different thing is that there's a sweet sauce and like not just a sweet sauce, like a very sweet sauce, like a dessert that goes on top basically of this meat. And for some reason, it just works so incredibly well. Um, but it's it was kind of brought to Halifax um, by by a couple of Lebanese immigrants, um, and it's kind of a Turkish inspired dish too. But um, they brought it to Halifax, I think, in the seventies, and uh, and now it's well, it is actually it's not just now unofficially; it is officially, I think, the the official food of the 
of the city, I think, and potentially the province. Um, so big dish there. And uh, yeah, but something that really very only regionally known in that area. Yeah. And no plans to turn it into a whole line of spices or anything? Or? Well, yeah, we've dabbled. We've dabbled thinking about that. The um, the problem, though, though, again, we do have great distribution and it sells well, is that there's this, uh, there's this reality of the grocery business is that the margins are absolutely tiny. Um, and so if, uh, if all of our 12 family members who helped, uh, who, who became manufacturers and producers of <laughs> the Donair Spice for us when we got that Sobeys order, um, and literally it was my mom, her best friend, my sister, my sister's best friend, cousins, you know, like people came out of the work to help us produce all this. Hands on deck, if, yeah. if we had, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, I, th- I think I can, I think I can say this on our tip. Yeah. If we, if we had to have paid them a minimum wage, not just pizza, uh, there, we would, we would be likely at a loss, uh, from, from that. So, it's, uh, but, but just, it was such an incredible experience. And for me, I have a lot of nostalgia for Sobeys just being this, you know, store that I, grew up in and as a food lover, you know, just, it was, it was kind of just a big thing for me personally. And for my sister, who's part of the business with me and, uh, and Jill, and we just loved doing that and learned a ton along the way. Cause it's, it's a lot of work and a really interesting process to, to a, you know, get into that store to manage the systems that they use to, to, um, effectively, you know, get the product to the shelves and be, you know, the processing and kind of manufacturing side too. It involved me, uh, driving, you know, 2000 pounds of spice from Toronto, uh, back to, uh, back to Nova Scotia, like just the bulk spices. Cause we couldn't even, cause we, we used local <laughs> providers for our spice. But then when we realized our order was like, you know, we needed more than 2000 pounds of raw spices. We, we couldn't just source those in Halifax anymore. So we had to find suppliers, <laughs> test suppliers, ended up, ended up renting a van and driving them back, uh, to, uh, to Nova Scotia one day. Cause we had a very tight turnaround to get the product to Sobeys. Right. So do you still have, do you have staff on, on the business now or you're still, still managing? On Drunken Sailor? No. Yeah. To- totally just something we managed on the side. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's all produced back in Halifax by, by my sister. Um, I mean, if, if, uh, if we could consider my mom who helps with orders from time to time staff, then that's, that's fair. Okay. Uh, she's, she's a staff person. She, she works for a really fair rate. That's good. Um, but no, yeah, so it's, it's totally, totally just a small side thing. And we've, and, and again, um, we've thought about where we could take it. And, and part of me gets really excited about where we could take it because I think we've, we, I think we know how to build good brands. I think we have some good products and have some other good product ideas, but at the same time, um, I'm also building, a, another company or, or two on the, on the, on the, on my day to day. And so I've just got to kind of manage where I distribute my, time and so we're leaving that one just to kind of be where it is for now but um there's some cool opportunities that we that we have with it all right so we'll we'll see where that goes could be a different conversation uh um maybe maybe a year from now or or maybe the exact same totally (laughs) totally undecided no it's interesting the attitude that's cultivated at shopify too it related to the topic of how you how you grow or create a startup ecosystem as we were talking about earlier it reminded me of uh a talk I saw by by John Ruffalo from Overs Ventures actually, yep, yep. Um, in Toronto, and this was probably probably five years ago now, four or five. Um, but basically, his the whole talk centered around how do you develop startup ecosystems, and he was talking about Canada as a whole. But basically, his position was 
you need one really big success. And in the context of this, it was kind of a unicorn because it builds all these people that have both the desire and the knowledge and the capital in a given city or area to spin it off. And I think probably a lot because of that attitude at Shopify, they've probably now done that in, in Ottawa and potentially in even, even in other, you know, satellite cities. But I mean, you're, you're kind of, kind of an example of that theory in action. Yeah, totally. And and I certainly have lots of friends from Shopify now who have some, you know, some many still there, obviously tons, um, but you know, a few who've moved on and who now have four or six, maybe 15 staff working on a, working on a really cool company here, neat idea there. And yeah, those are businesses and those are 12 people employed by that small company that would not exist had that experience, knowledge, capital been raised in them through, through their time at Shopify. So it's really incredible for that. Yeah. Um, circling back kind of the mentorship though, and a little bit of a, again, that plug for the support that exists in, again, not just Halifax, Nova Scotia, but smaller regions. And if you're trying to grow a smaller a business in smaller regions, but I point out like when we, my, my sister loves the company made with local. Mm-hmm. And, and although I wasn't exposed to it in Toronto, um, she's in Halifax. And so as we were building Drunken Sailor, um, Jen just talked about made with local uh, which is uh, they make kind of natural granola bars and different products like that and oatmeals. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just cold called uh, Sheena Russell, who's one of the co-founders and runs that company. And yeah, like she hit me back right away. and was like, let me know anything I can do to help you. And then I, so we get on a call and she's literally giving me golden advice that, that, that made possible what we were able to achieve. Um, and then, you know, when this Obie's deal came along, I'm like, this this program they use GS1 is very, very complicated. Um, can you help me with a few things? I'm like, absolutely. I had all the time in the world for me. And she's growing a very big business. She has monstrous distribution, um, incredible products. Like, she, she, has a, she has a mega business going. Um, and yet, just had all the time in the world uh, to support. And then, you know, a couple of months ago, we ran into something else. And she was, and she like sent me all of her files for when she was dealing with the same thing. It's just... Like that type of support was so incredible. And again, by having someone like made with local, it's just a, you know, a a smaller, but still very relevant CPG company in Halifax. By having someone to go to for mentorship, it will hopefully help four other, you know, tiny CPG companies actually, you know, you know, again, have have the support they need to actually take some steps in growth and it works, uh, works really well. But again, how, how down for helping she was. And then, you know, just like there was nothing she wouldn't support on. It was mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah, no, I've seen that other examples of that around here too. And I had some of their oats for lunch today, so we'll make sure to link them. Oh, nice. Notes. There we go. Yeah. Bingo. Um, nice. okay. So post Shopify, uh, I guess was sort of your first, um, not solo, but, uh, first entrepreneurial venture where you were the prime founder and mm-hmm. that was Jeff Jacobs and agency. Is that right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So yep. tell me a little bit about that experience. What motivated you to kind of step out and, and do that and what the, the process was like. Yeah. Awesome. So, so Jeff and I had been talking about, uh, about this again, even while I was still in November and about partnering up, he had gone out on his own to start the company. We had, we had worked together in the past. Um, and I, we, we just jived. I just really, he lives in Vancouver um, even to this day, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm nine and a half years into knowing him. I've still only been with him on 15 different occasions. You know, now those might be, that might be a week or two in Vancouver. That might be three or four days, but it's like, it's only spent, we've only been in the same room, uh, 
um, you know, probably 15 different times. We just, we just jived um, through as soon as he started at the old agency we were both at. Um, had had kind of a similar way of doing things. I, I you know, just say a, di- a different lens on things, progressive in how we wanted to operate. Um, and so, yeah, we talked about about working together. He went out and did it. I ended up uh, choosing uh, Shopify, which he which he didn't uh, hold against me because I think he saw the opportunity in it, maybe even more than I did, um, and was very supportive of that. But then after being at Shopify for a while, um, just just under a year actually. Um, kind of just realized a the entrepreneurial pang was a little too uh was a little too strong <laughs> and shopify supports entrepreneurs so much that it was you know i'm in this place where every day you're talking about you know helping people find and follow their entrepreneurial you know passion and so it just really was a very motivating place to to get out and do your own thing um and I was looking at what my future would look like at Shopify as, as an offline marketer there, as a non-technical person, um, and just saw like, yeah, let's let's make the jump. Uh, so came on board uh, with Jeff as, as a partner um, in the business, and yeah, that was it was very very daunting because I went from a very exciting, fairly lucrative place to um, sitting in my living room uh, like. You know, with with no with no no idea, yeah, like when I'd make a dollar. And again, I have no I have no backing. I have no I have a wonderful wife. Um, but like I, I have no actually I was getting married, you know, only like seven months after that actually. So like there was so many things rattling around in my mind. Um but yeah, it just, you know, it, it came together and um I did actually, you know, I say I was in my living room, I actually did rent an office right away. It was one of the first things I did because for me personally I just wanted and felt I needed that energy of of people around. Uh, so I actually partnered up with another Halifax based company, famous folks and, uh, another guy from Cape Breton who holds an, an office lease in downtown Toronto, um, from Blue Elfin Realty. And so we share an office and it's been, uh, yeah, it's been fantastic. Um, and, uh, and fun. It just kind of worked, but it was daunting. The, the, especially, you know, I mean, there's always challenges, but like early on, just financially, like, you know, there, there's no one I can turn to if I, need to pay my mortgage for a couple of months or something. And so I needed to, needed to make shit happen and, uh, and, and it worked out. And this was an, an agency. So you're doing similar things. Well, obviously more at the founder level than. Yeah, totally. So we're, so we're, we're speakers bureau. Um, and when we've actually sent, so we just actually rebranded to talent bureau. Um, so that just happened literally last week. And so it, you know, effectively the same company, but a little more rooted in in the way that we want to, we want to do business and you know, staking a bit more of a claim in that. Um, but yeah, day, day to day, especially early on, it looked a lot like uh, the old job in a sense where you, I it was literally just, we, we didn't have any kind of capital to run with or anything. So it was literally just eat what you kill and, and working hard to make some sales so I could pay my bills and kind of like cover that basic level first. Sure. Um, so I was just selling. Uh, and then, and then, yeah, things went pretty well pretty quick we were able to you know create lots of good opportunities and so the hire the first person just a couple months into me being there um and and then yeah and then you're into sort of management related activities as well and then you're um and then you're just working on building the business out and in, in all the different ways that you need to systems you know bringing on board a crm uh you know accounting practice all those things you know jeff had quite a few of them set up but we really you know Things, things, you know, took a, an exponential shift when I joined in terms of, in terms of, um, you know, what we were doing, the complexity of what we were doing, and 
what other opportunities exist out there. So, right. So I want to get into a little more detail about the first kind of one to three months of, of that. Yeah. Which you, you just sort of talked about a little bit, but did you had talent already that sort of came with you to the agency or you were starting totally from scratch. What were you doing in those first one to three months to get the, the business off the ground? Yeah, totally. So we had a pretty, we had, we had a great network of talent um, that we, that we had uh, already known from, from years of being in the business, plus just other, you know, even, even during my time at Shopify, I gave me the opportunity to work with so many incredible people in the tech world um, and, and kind of build a nice base of those individuals. Uh, just to those, again, that are kind of that we've had worked with before. We had the, we had a, a good foundation of talent um, to be able to go out. And then it was really just about client acquisition. So reaching out to clients and trying to um, trying to make opportunities happen and find opportunities for the, for the talent that we work with. Um, and then simultaneously, you're, you know, our, a big thing for us is we really work on, on the side of the of the clients that are booking the speakers, and so we're trying to really represent them in in, in the relationship with booking talent. And so to that to that end, it was you know we're often kind of seeking talent too uh, from the standpoint we do a lot of celebrity bookings, so uh, we keep good relationships and spend a lot of time you know a couple times a year in New York and LA to make sure that we're we've got great relationships with kind of the more major celebrity agencies there. Um, so that way, when when someone in Montreal or in Toronto or Winnipeg want uh, want a major major name, we don't we don't represent those individuals, um, but we can but we can book them with you. And we have great relationships, so we can very swiftly get you George Clooney if that's who if that's who is uh, if that's who you're looking for. Um, right. so, and we bring and we oh yeah go ahead. No, I was just gonna say obviously your time at. National Speakers Bureau and your time in the industry helped sort of get you kickstarted. But did you have any other mentors at the time or people that you were consistently going back to 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 get direction? Yeah, good question. Um, not not industry mentors, I wouldn't say. Um, it's also a bit of a it's also a bit of a different industry where it's where it's arguably. Um, you know, it's pretty small. So there's only so many people who did it. I, I, we tried to, uh, or not tried to, we, we were good at really opening ourselves up to, to input and feedback and, and learning from, you know, the bigger agencies in the U S and they've all been really kind to us in terms of, you know, just sharing, you know, with us, you know, practices and things they do and how they look at talent and how they work with talent. And yeah. so we've um, learned a lot from, from them. Um, but really one of the biggest things, and that I focused on has been where else I can learn and who else I can learn from. And I think I realized that looking just to the talent industry for insight on how to grow was, was, was wrong. And, and a lot of people do this in a lot of industries where they only look inside. But I think I just learned through my experience at Movember where we were growing it from scratch. So there was no model to look at. There was not another charity doing anything like Movember was doing. Mm -hmm. So, so we had to look to outside companies that had scaled. We had to look to, um, you know, we, we were studying Nike case studies and talking to executives from, from, you know, consulting companies and so on, you know, not talking to other charities because we didn't want to replicate what other charities did. We wanted to do it differently. Um, and then certainly Shopify emboldened that approach. And then, yeah, I wanted to bring that. So I was trying to learn from books and from, um, people who were in really different types of companies. So, you know, from a, 
from how a photographer manages their business and their multiple clients to how, um, you know, actually I'm trying to think of other individuals who are really impactful. Um, yeah, just lots of, lots of friends and certainly just lots of individuals in the network that I have um, that just, you just sort of pull different insights from, um, you know, regardless of the industry they're in or, or what they're, what they're selling, you know, at the end of the day, you're, you have, you know, you're, you're kind of all selling. So. Right. Now I'm well, sure those different experiences shaped how, what kind of business you wanted to build, but as you went into founding either the agency originally, or now as you're doing the rebranding, is there mm-hmm. things that you consciously want to be different about your business compared to others in the industry? Or is there something that you changed around in, in the model and how it works? Yeah, for sure. So, uh, yes, there are, um, our thing, you know, a big thing for us is, is just transparency across the board. Um, we, you know, there it's, it's an industry where there are quite a few kind of middlemen type options and we just don't want to be that. We, we want to work on, on opportunities where we can really truly provide great value on both sides. Um, and, and bring good knowledge and just really honest, insight and just never our kind of golden rule which believe it or not is not the golden rule of all events is just never book a shitty speaker uh you know and it's like it should you think that would be a, a general thing across the board but it's you know not always the case uh and so we just want to make sure that we we do everything we can to like hunt the right people for the talent that we that we work with um and sorry and for the clients that we work with right so um, though it, though it, though again, it's, you know, it's not that like mega perfect differentiator that, that you kind of want as a company always, but it is a, uh, um, you know, it's been, an, it's been an effective guiding light for us. Like just do whatever we have to, to make sure the client and the audience, um, get the best possible, uh, talent. Right. And it's just a great relationship all the way around. So, um, you deal often with speakers and I know you've, you've talked about coaching speakers or how to be better mm-hmm. at public speaking. Yep. And as you just said, the successful way to do a conference is never to book a shitty speaker. But <laughs> based on your experience, are there traits or skills that the really amazing speakers have in common? And then the second part to that is how do you, if you don't know these people ahead of time, how do you go out and identify who really amazing speakers are? Yeah, good. Okay. So yeah, part one, um, that's a, I've spent a lot of time kind of meditating on what what the perfect makeup is of a speaker. I've written some blogs and I've tried to I've tried to you know come up with it and and and, there, and there's a science there. It's not just an art. There's a bit of a science there, but it's but it's really hard to define. Um, I think you know at the core, if you're looking straight up at an individual and you're not hearing them speak, but you're looking for some things that would be consistent. I mean, empathy is important. Someone someone who can empathize with their audience and understand where they're coming from will will have a better shot of being a better speaker than someone who is not. And, and that's for two reasons. I think a, because they just in the moment can connect with an audience. They, 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 you know, are, are empathetic enough to understand what these people are looking for and what they want. And, um, you know, what the, like what, what will work for them. Um, but also they've, they care. And so they care enough in advance to make sure that they're bringing, you know, bringing their best, for the audience. And that's, uh, and that's, a um, something that again, believe it or not, a lot, what I always talk about is that a lot of speakers they'll get invited to speak somewhere and then they, um, and then they think, okay, what do I have to tell this audience? 
versus thinking about what does this audience want to hear from me or what can they learn from me? Um, they always think about it from their, a lot of times their perspective versus from the audience perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a, so that's kind of like, uh, one, one tidbit, I guess. Um, you know, storytelling, storytelling isn't just, a, it's not an innate ability. It's, uh, it certainly is for some, like it's a natural, for some people are just naturally brilliant storytellers and, and you can't beat that, including a lot of people from where we're from. It's just this natural <laughs> skill, like on, on the East coast, as it, as, as it is for Newfoundlanders, as it is for, you know, different kind of pockets and regions. Um, and, and it's a real skill, but it's, it's also a skill you can hone, um, you know, whether, whether that's just, again, thinking about pacing and pausing or thinking about, um, you know, what, what you have to say and what you're trying to say and how and why that's actually relevant to the, you know, to the audience. That's a, that, that's something, again, that quite a few people don't often do. Uh, so um, so really taking time to think that through and think through what the right story is, how it will connect, how do my transitions connect? Like those are ways that just, you know, like someone can, can, can look at and do and improve how they tell stories. I feel like I'm telling, I feel like I'm, I'm telling this in a really disjointed way. So it's quite ironic that I'm talking about being a great speaker in a, in a very disjointed way, but no, <laughs> piecing all the parts together. Yeah. If the the second part of that question, how, I mean, how do you tie those well, I guess the first first thing I should ask is, do you have to see someone speak to know if they're good? Or if not, how do you identify those people? Yeah, sure. So so we, I mean, again, we, both myself and my partner, spend literally hundreds of, of days and nights of the year out seeing speakers. So we've, we've got a good, um, we've got a good sense of, of great speakers because we go to so many events. I also have, you know, we also keep a great network of individuals literally around the world um, to, to kind of find out about new, uh, new talent and, and who's great and where great stories are coming from. And so, you know, we use, you know, again, not, not to say it's as formal as their, their advisors or something, but it's like, we, we know who to look to when we're looking for, for a great person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've got people that we trust when, when they tell us and, and, and a sliding scale of trust too, you know, like some, some, you know, friends or contacts who say they've got a great speaker and, you know, I'll take that with a grain of salt and other people say it and I'll treat it like, <laughs> you know, treat it like the Bible. I'm like, okay, that means this yeah. person's good. So you'll always have that. Yeah. Um, we do try and see like, you know, as, as a service to our clients, we make sure if we're recommending someone, they are someone we've seen. That said, there's not always the opportunity to see people. And when you're in a fast moving world, like, especially when I'm working on an event in, in, you know, when, when a client comes to me and they need someone for a, a cryptocurrency event, uh, you know, Two months from now, there's there's not always a chance to go see uh, a guy who probably yesterday just sold a a company for a hundred million dollars that didn't exist three months prior. Uh, mm-hmm. so, you know, so we just have to do our due diligence as best we can to uh, to you know find out find out you know a chat with them, just get to know how they tell stories on the phone, even or or by sitting down having a coffee and getting that sense of they're the right person. But there are two sides to the business as well from the standpoint of people aren't always looking for the greatest speaker either. You know, they're, they're often coming to us because they need to sell tickets. So they're actually much more interested in a name. that's going to play well on a poster um, or an advertisement than the greatest speaker out there. Um, And likewise, sometimes people will, will forego storytelling, you know, talent and, and, you know, a really incredible speaker for, 
you know, just straight up expertise, you know, be, and especially in these newer spaces. Um, we, we work with some incredible speakers in the AI space and in, you know, and, and even around blockchain and different things. Like we've got some great people, but at the same time, um, there are lots of events who just need individuals that have, you know, that, that have the expertise. And so um, it's more about just finding out, you know, finding access to the individuals who, who work in the field or know a lot about the field either on an academic level or through expertise by, by, you know, having started a company or built something in the space. So um, again, not always about like great, great speaker in that realm, but someone who's going to deliver really well on what the, what the audience needs. Sure. So you have to be cognizant and empathetic of what the audience and your client wants as a, as well as the, uh, the speaker. Yeah, totally. totally. Uh, so you, I mean, you just mentioned AI, cryptocurrency, and George Clooney. You <laughs> you obviously deal with a bunch of different people and different personalities in different industries and spheres. Mm. Do you ever find it difficult to balance all those different types of people and different areas? Yeah, the the biggest challenge, and this isn't this again, it's not unlike so many other people in their various industries, but it's it's definitely a business you can never get away from because if I'm watching a hockey game at night, I'm thinking about the deals I'm either working on or I've worked on with, with hockey players for sports celebrity dinners or for brand endorsements and things. If I'm, you know, watching the news, probably the person delivering the news is someone I've worked with. And then, you know, a good chance there's a story on about people that we're trying to work with or, or, you know, a subject matter I'm interested in because I know the clients will have need and demand there. So it's really, it's just probably the challenge is how, how all encompassing it is in your life. Um, because once in a while you just want to want to break, but that's also what makes it the greatest is that it's you know, broad topics, also interesting, um, all with such interesting characters and people connected to them. Um, and so, yeah, it's kind of the, the blessing and a curse in that way. Um, it's, it's a challenge for some people, I think, because you need to, and again, I'm, you know, you said, yeah, I mentioned AI and cryptocurrency and George Clooney, but also it's politicians <laughs> and, and former politicians from both, you know, from, from not, not both sides, you know, both sides and then all three parties in Canada. It's, it's U.S. politicians. We book a lot of U.S. politicians. It's authors, it's business experts. It's, it's so many different people. And so, um, yeah, for me, it's just like, it's great because I am interested in all of these things. So it really works and I don't find it too, too challenging though. I know for some people it is hard because you do need to be able to have like, you need to be able on a phone um, or, or in a meeting speak with, with understanding to these different subjects um, and, you know, and be able to understand kind of what's happening in AI that's relevant, that, that a client who wants that subject uh, would find valuable, but you also need to know, you know, who's who won the all-star game this year in, in the NHL or the NBA, because those people are very relevant um, to, uh, to brands and to companies as well. So there's a, a lot to keep in mind and challenging for some, but it fits myself really naturally fits those we work with really naturally um, because yeah, there's, you know, for a, for a generalist, uh, it's, it's a really awesome industry. Right. Okay. So I will be cognizant of time here. So um, you mentioned two things that you do outside of work. Um, both, uh, I think, to help you recharge, but cooking is one, which you talked about briefly earlier, and then you also mentioned you're an athletic enthusiast, which I don't know whether that means an observer or a participant or both, but 
and you can pick either or both, but how, what role do those play in your life and how, how do they help you recharge? Yeah, good question. I mean, I, maybe I'll dabble in both, but it, it is as an athletic enthusiast, I just say I play every sport possible. Started hockey four years ago at, uh, at 28 and, uh, um, and just madly in love with it. I resented for a long time. I didn't get to play hockey when I was young, but now I still have that like enthusiasm. So I think it's kind of worth it because I'll get to enjoy it that much more for the next 30 years since I didn't play it growing up. Um, but I just kind of use, like a lot of people, just, you know, sports and competitive sports just as a getaway, you know, something to take your mind off things and, and just, you know, a healthy, great thing to do. This has always played a big role in my life, but I really don't have any barriers. Like I would, I will sign up for an ultimate Frisbee team in a heartbeat. I will sign up for a hockey team in a heartbeat. I will, you know, uh, go play darts in a heartbeat. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. You know, it really, uh, um, it, uh, I just, I just kind of take any opportunity I can, um, and it's and it's treating me well. Cooking's a cooking's a different like passion and love um, uh, that I've that I've always had, but I've used a little more deliberately in the past few years to um, uh, just yeah, as, as a bit of a departure from work, as just something I'm keeping connected to. And there's a lot of pressure in the world, and and I know this is in every city, but certainly in Toronto, there's um, you know fresh, fast, healthy food is getting more affordable from. Uh, and more accessible from tons of locations. Um, you know, meal prep companies are, uh, I think it, they may not be totally succeeding, but they're trying to really take over uh, the cities. Um, and that's, and that's great. And that's a good healthy thing for society. But I just have tried very actively to retain my love of cooking from scratch and going to the grocery store. You know, it's kind of looked at like this big bad thing and Amazon's trying to, you know, Mm-hmm. tackle it although now they're now they're now they're also opening up stores but still for a while they were like you know telling everyone that having to leave your house to buy something was terrible um and i think that uh i just like i just embrace going to the grocery store i just love it i like i like you know i like picking my fruits and veggies and just trying to embrace the experience because it's always something i've had to do um and so i love this so from from that step through to through to cooking i just kind of use it as a nice uh a nice departure and just a you know, something that I, I tell myself is therapeutic and thus it is. And I really enjoy it. Right. I think that the attitude of telling yourself that something is enjoyable and therapeutic is then makes it so is, is so important. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We'll wrap up here with a, a few quicker questions. Sounds good. What's the first thing you do when you come back to Nova Scotia to visit? Uh, probably like not the most proud thing, but probably, probably don't air happens pretty quickly upon every visit. Um, but I really do prioritize too, like seeing the water. It's this funny draw that is just so real that I just, I don't know. I, I kind of like, will drive right past my house down to Kingsburg to the beach just to, just to see it, you know, yeah. not, not do too much. I don't talk to it. I don't do anything else, but I just sort of like to go see it. It's still there, you know, pat it on the head and, uh, yeah, I, I can, uh, and it feels great. Yeah. And the, the donor is very and on brand. Them. So, yeah. 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 Thanks. That's okay. yeah, that's plug. Yeah. <laughs> um, what are a couple of your go-to cafes, cocktail bars, restaurants in Toronto? Oh, good question. So my office is directly above Belfast love, um, mm-hmm. which is uh, just opened, opened just a couple months after I, I started working here. And so that it's, it's definitely a hotspot too. And it's my Wi-Fi connection doesn't change between when I'm in my office and when I walk downstairs. So I've <laughs> got some things to Perfect. do. It's like, it's really hard not to just walk downstairs and do them down there with a pint. Um, 
best best cookie in the city that La Gourmand, this this coffee shop on Spadina that I've worked all three of my offices in the past, you know, like six years have all been within a block of that and they're very dangerous, but that's a, that's a regular spot for me. Um, yeah. And I'm an East Ender. I live in Leslieville, kind of just, just to the East side of the city. And so over there, there are so many incredible places. Uh, Tierra is another coffee shop. There's actually, this is very typical and maybe uh, to, to your, use your words again on brand, but there's a, there's a pub owned by two Halifax uh, chefs called Thirsty Duck. And it's an really incredible pub which was the name of an old pub in halifax two years ago that closed oh, uh, but they just literally the second day they opened it it felt like it had been there 30 years and they just nailed the vibe and and the feelings and it's, it's a great spot and with great food so nice there i'm there a bit too <laughs> do you have a quote that you live by or think about often well um good question i i have i have a lot and i think i would be hard pressed to like name one of them, and this is such a cheap way to answer this question because it's a good question, but I think given the work I do, I work across with so many incredible people and so many people that, you know, often, oftentimes are delivering quotes uh, that I think I just am taking like constant inspiration as I'm constantly watching talks online and constantly reading articles to keep up with what our speakers are kind of doing that um, I don't stick to, to anyone too closely. Yeah. No, now, 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 now I'm going to. I'm going to go hunt down a quote and, like, <laughs> and try and live by it from this day forward. <laughs> um, what are two or three books that have greatly influenced you or that you gift often? Yeah, good question. Um, Switch was a really cool marketing book uh, by Chip and Dan Heath mm-hmm. that just blew my mind. I, I, I can't explain why. There, there's some, there's some um, you know, kind of Malcolm Gladwell-esque you know, coverage of, of, of just marketing and business case studies. And it just made me think differently about how, how brands and communities grow. Um, it was really, really cool. I, uh, I love that. Yeah. I love that book a lot. Um, though it's like also just, you know, it's kind of another marketing or business book on the shelf. I, you know, it's not an incredible standout though. They're, though they are like New York times bestselling authors, but, mm-hmm. um, it just, yeah, just hit me at a great time. Um, a another really good i mean not anything by malcolm gladwell i've just always consumed and really enjoyed and again i think that goes back to that love of economics and love of brands that he talks about a lot like it just kind of like makes sense why i love his work so much and the fascinating things he covers mm-hmm. um and let's see we've got a client doug griffiths who wrote 13 ways to kill a community and that's been really cool it's, it's a it's a really great book it's it's about um you know he he, he was an mla in alberta and um, worked in, you know, has worked in community building his whole life. And so like, it's, it's just so interesting for me. He brought that knowledge to community to see that, you know, kind of the 13 chapters are the 13 things that, that are community and vivid and clear to me, especially growing up in this rural area. So I really like that book. I like it because it talks about like, you know, rural communities, which is of interest to me being from one and being, you know, forever like tied to it in my heart. But then also just how, again, all those lessons about community building, whether you're a small town or you're a brand trying to build a community, they're like same rules kind of apply in a different way. You know, Nike isn't thinking about water um, quality uh, necessarily in the way that a small town might be thinking about the water quality they serve to uh, their, uh, the people in their town. But 
um, the same rules still apply of all of all the other things, and and it comes back to you know the quality of some of the basics, which a Nike still needs to have in their shoes. So it's just I, I love the way that book kind of makes me think. Right. And cool. I'll make a plug for a book that I talk about often. And I've gifted a few times, but uh, Andre Agassi's Open, probably mm. one of the cooler biographies I've read. Just such a deep dive, Fantastic so vulnerable, book, yeah. so so open. Yeah. So that that's one that I like talk about. I think my friends got really sick of me talking about it for a while because I, I kind of segued every conversation we were having like back to open for like the six months after I read it. Yeah. And they, they were like, Jeff, we get it. You read open and that's great. <laughs> like, let's talk about some other, some other things. Yeah. Okay. So last question here and then I'll, uh, I'll let you go. What advice right. would you give to a smart driven college student just about to graduate and what advice should they ignore or one or the Good other question again? Yeah. Um, I mean, some just just pulling from some of the mistakes I think I made would would be you know wherever you go, whatever you do, just fully embrace it, make it your home, make it your everything. You can you kind of may as well. You got you've got way way more to lose by not doing that than by doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think just that 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 you know the Cheryl Sandberg kind of leaning in, you know, leave. If you're going to do something, lean into it and own it. Um, I think that's great. Um, you know, recognize again something that's helped me. I think is recognizing that you can learn you know, from different subjects in, you know, and, and apply them to no matter what industry you're going into. And so don't be, don't be linear in your thinking about where you can learn from, who your mentors can be and uh, you know, what, what can lend to your success in whatever you're interested in. Um, and then, and then, yeah, just try lots of different things. Awesome. And, and, you know, fail the, you know, I don't, I don't love, love the term fail fast. It became a bit trendy, but like truly it just is okay. You know, mm-hmm. just, just, Try things. Um, done is better than perfect. It's probably been a big one for me that I really, um, you know, quote. brought into my life from Shopify. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, that's because because I found myself lingering on a lot of projects in the past, um, and then kind of I brought that to my psyche for Shopify. It was a big uh, statement there. And it's like it's just so true. You just you know, everything's out, out there into the world, into the world, get the feedback, and. Um, you know, and apply it, but just don't don't hold on them for it to be perfect because that's what that's what stifles people, and that's what probably a lot of ideas and a lot of maybe great would be entrepreneurs at home, but by not just doing it, by not just starting it, they they never they never turn into anything. So no, that's great, awesome. Well, thank you very much, Jeff. This was uh, this was fantastic. Where is the best place for people to find you or reach you online? Yeah, sure. So I am uh, I'm at Jeff Lonis on Instagram and. Twitter and um, JL at talentbureau.com on, uh, on our website and with our business. And yeah, I'm always, I'm always up for conversations and tech people. So awesome. Would, uh, would love to. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. No problem. Yeah. Thank you. It's good to, good to chat with you. Appreciate you reaching out. Hello everyone. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening on. And don't forget you can find show notes, links to everything we talked about, and more at grahamman.net slash podcast. I would also encourage you to sign up for my weekly email list to make sure you get notified about new blog posts and podcasts. See you next time.